This episode of Earl Grey is brought to you by Audible.com, offering more than 180,000 titles for smartphone, tablet, and desktop. To get a free audiobook of your choice and help Trek FM at the same time, visit audibletrial.com slash trekfm. And also by Enterprise in Space, an international program of the nonprofit National Space Society. Find out how you can help science and education and become a virtual crew member aboard the NSS Enterprise Orbiter by visiting enterpriseinspace.org. Hi, this is Marina Sirdis, Deanna Troy from Star Trek The Next Generation. You're listening to Trek FM. Welcome listeners to another cup of Earl Grey, Trek FM's dedicated podcast to the next generation. I'm your host, Amy Nelson. Joined with me today, as they always are, Richard Marquez and Justin Ozer. Richard, how are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic. Fantastic, fantastic. (laughs) Very good. And Justin, yourself? I'm doing good. Welcome back, Amy. We missed you last week, but we still had a fun little show with Haley Stoddard from Standard Orbit. Yes. Again, missing those badass moments. That's okay. Yes, badass (laughs) Troy moments. You will be there. Maybe that'll be the next one we'll do. (laughs) <laughs> well, gosh, we're recording this on uh, daylight savings time, and it, I feel like I have been up all day. I just, oh my gosh, it's messing with me. Up all day, I got an extra hour of sleep. Uh, yeah, so did I. <laughs> my body still likes uh, to woke, wake up in the morning, and I'm like, wait a minute, no, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I woke up at like four o'clock in the morning, and I'm like, oh man, I'm like, you know, that restless feeling, you're like, you know, but I was like, oh, no, mm, one more hour of sleep. I'm going back to yes. bed. Yep. <laughs> About the same thing happened to me. <laughs> yeah. Well, we have some Babel conference feedback from our 250th episode where we did our role-playing game. So, Justin, why don't you start us off? Yeah, I mean, first, thanks, everyone, for your feedback. Glad you enjoyed that role-playing game. We weren't sure what would happen, but I think it turned out well. Uh, So first we have Wes Huntington, and before he listened to it, he said, pre-listening prediction, Amy's character dies, Justin's character survives, and is promoted. And then after he listened to the episode, he said, this was a fun listen. Next time, make the entire thing up. Keep the dice, of course. It should be fun to actually use your imaginations, and maybe it would be cool. My own two cents, I'm grateful that my pre-listening prediction did not come true. Poor Miguel Marquez, though. And some Marquez, we hardly knew thee. (laughs) <laughs> so thanks for that and yes i'm glad that uh, amy's character didn't die and spoilers if listeners haven't heard the episode <laughs> for the role-playing game my character died but was brought back to life thank goodness <laughs> thank you q <laughs> yes <laughs> yes and we're glad that you enjoyed it and uh as richard commented on the babel conference maybe we'll have a follow-up in the future right absolutely but that's under wraps for yeah. right now. <laughs> yep. 
we'll we'll let you know when there's when there's another one but definitely we're thinking about it because we're glad you guys really enjoyed it yeah because we enjoyed doing it yeah for for sure after we got over our initial awkwardness yeah (laughs) (laughs) we'll be more pros next time yeah so jen foley said I did not know this game existed. My husband plays D&D and has been trying to get me to play for years. Maybe this could be a compromise. Absolutely. It should be a compromise. (laughs) It should be, and I hope you have fun doing it. Actually, I I know Jen also from some uh, Facebook uh, Star Trek books groups. I'm glad she's joined us and listening to Earl Grey. And uh, yeah, if if you happen to play that with your husband as a compromise, if you play Star Trek Adventures, let us know how it goes. I'm I'm sure you guys will have fun, though. It's a fun game. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. Christopher Lutz says, that was great. I personally never have tried any RPG, although I want to badly. I'll admit when you didn't evade those blasts from the Romulans while headed to the surface, I was sure you wouldn't make it off the shuttlecraft. How much of the dialogue comes from the game material? The encounter with the Maquis, for instance. Is it like a choose-your-own-adventure book, or were you making up most of what your characters were saying? Richard? So I so I actually um, already um, commented, or I'm sorry, yeah, I already responded back to Chris, but like, um, so the story that I chose uh, was the very first one that um, Mobius, which is the, is it Mobius? Mophidius. Mophidius. Mophidius, there you go. <laughs> Every time I see it, I, I think Mobius. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it, it was basically their first story. And uh, I, I mean, instead of like creating this big story and everything, I was like, you know what? Let's just go with what they have and see how it goes uh, sort of thing. So um, for the most part, it, it was it was basically an outline. I mean, if you look at the actual uh, sheet, it's an outline of the adventure. And then it tells and it gives you options here and there. But um Throughout the whole entire uh, sheet, it actually says it's up to the uh, the dungeon or the game master to, uh, I guess, make up scenarios and and come up with dialogue and whatnot. So for the most part, it's up to the game master. And I, I was actually surprised at that because I thought, especially with the Maquis dialogue, that you were reading that, but you're making you're making it up as you went along, which is impressive. Very. <laughs> no, I was doing that on the fly. Yes, yeah, so amazing. Great. Oh my gosh. But I have to say, was it on the fly that you vaporized my character, or did it tell you to do that? Nope, didn't tell me ah! to do that. <laughs> Believe you me, if you would have rolled better, and Amy would, because uh, I was going to give Amy another chance, and it would have been her. Oh, oh okay. <laughs> All right. And I'm sure she would have been brought back by Q as well, right? Right. Because as you guys were, um, as you guys were, uh, you know, um, doing the dialogue and everything, I was rolling Mm. while you guys were doing it. Oh, sneaky. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, because (laughs) I I I I was like, was it something I said? What should I have said something better? No, it was just the luck of the draw. Roll of the dice. Yeah. 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 It was totally. yeah. <laughs> wow, how about that? The dice were in my favor. Good thing I live here in Vegas. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's probably why. You, yep. you should buy a lot of tickets. And so uh, Greg Malumpy said, this is a fun listen. Yeah, it took a bit to get going, but once you all got the hang of it, it was really fun. Good work on putting this together. Yeah. Great work on putting it together, Richard. And Amy, I think you did a great job. It seemed like at times you're ready to just like take over. <laughs> run the thing <laughs> which is great especially with that survival pack uh, right yeah that was... like wait a minute i've got my survival pack <laughs> it's got to count for something <laughs> yeah so yeah it did take a few minutes but we we definitely got into it and, and listening back to it i know we had a lot of fun and 
yeah, if we do it again, I'm sure like right from the get go, we'll be into it. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. But then like <laughs> we said, it was our first time. So it was a little, you know, we didn't quite know what was going on, but I think we figured it out and got into the mm-hmm. spirit of it all. So, yeah. All right. Well, thank you. And um, so for today, we are going to uh, talk about our character moments, our favorite character moments from the film First Contact. Now, we've been doing the series throughout, and so we're doing the movies one by one, and we are now to First Contact, which I think everyone can agree is a fantastic movie. Um, I think everyone would put it first on their TNG for favorite movies. So it's going to be interesting to hear what you guys um, chose out of this movie. So, uh, Justin, how did you make your picks for this movie? And was it any different um, than how you went in with Generations? I mean, first, I think what I'd say is I think generally people would rate it the highest among the TNG movies, but there are people who prefer the other ones as maybe especially Generations, what we heard from our feedback last time, Mm -hmm. Um, but also maybe some Insurrection and and Nemesis. But for me, this was extremely difficult because I'm not sure if I put it this strongly on this podcast before, but First Contact is my favorite Star Trek movie out of all 13 movies. And it's also my favorite movie period out of any movie that I've ever seen. I just love it so much and one of the big reasons is one of my picks I won't give away too much about that but there there are a lot of things about this movie that I love and I enjoyed so much re-watching it so my difficulty was narrowing it down to the three choices because I had a whole bunch as I was watching the movie that I was taking note of and I mean I had a bunch for generations but it was more for first contact it was like oh this and this and this and this and this so it was really hard to narrow it down although again there's one in particular I absolutely had to to choose, and and I knew that from the start. But it was kind of a, it was it was really difficult for me. Probably the most difficult out of any of these favorite character moments because I had to really think of what I wanted to narrow it down to. Yeah, Richard, how about you and your your process in choosing moments from this great movie? Well, um, I actually. Uh, did the same thing like I did with Generations. I just rewatched it on. I rewatched it. Actually, well, as I tweeted <laughs> not too long ago, uh, earlier this morning, it was actually the first thing I did this morning besides eat breakfast. Um, but like, um, yeah, I pretty much watched it on my big TV and 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 yeah. How was it en- on your big TV? Because you were so impressed with Generations. So okay, <laughs> Gener- um, hmm. Generations was great. Don't get me wrong; it was a it was a cinematic marvel. It really is when it comes to like you know sound effects you know and all that kind of stuff they definitely put all the stops for this for that one this one i had a little bit of difficulty and it was only four spots in the whole entire movie um frame rate um, was reduced in three parts of the movie funny enough they had happened to all deal with lily i don't understand why you're watching it as on the like Blu-ray streaming DVD. How are you watching? Blu-ray. Okay. I, I have the DVD as well, and I and I checked it on. I actually checked it on the DVD as well, and it's the same thing on 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 the DVD as well. Which I don't understand why that is, but like the frame rate went down. How do you even notice that? I like okay. I I just have one thing I want to say because <laughs> one thing I hear a lot about is things like aspect ratio and frame rate. I never ever ever notice those things. And we so can thank out, Michael like, Schindler for oh. that. 
Yeah. <laughs> I, I yeah. Well, I don't know. I don't know. I, mean, I don't know if it'll be the same experience for you, but it's the it's the scene where Picard meets up with Lily for the very first time, and she's on the Enterprise, and, and he's talking about the ship. Right when he starts talking about how many planets are in on uh, the Federation, it starts slowing down, and you can steadily see it. It's it's a very it's a very minute. It must um, be because I I didn't notice change. that at all yeah. because I think during that scene I was just watching like their faces and their reactions and stuff, but. Maybe yeah. I'm not as observant I mean, about these yeah. things, but it's interesting to hear that perspective. <laughs> I didn't even notice it until I watched it. I was like, "Wait a second! Why is it doing? Why is it slowing down?" It's like, hmm. I don't. Okay. What? <laughs> so a technical nitpick. But, yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and then of course, Picard's uniform was all messed up on the, in the very first scene of um, first contact when he's in his ready room. He's got he had a blemish on his right shoulder hmm. that I really. It bothered me. Huh. Okay, I didn't notice that either. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, all right. That otherwise, that uh, otherwise, it was amazing. This uh, and just like what I just like what I tweeted, it was first contact is a, a great movie to um you know crank up your subwoofer uh, to max. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, my dad, my dog didn't appreciate that, but um, I certainly I listened did. to it quite loud as well. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, let's get into our picks. Uh, Justin, let's start with you. Yeah. So for the the first pick, uh, and I don't know, maybe this will be on your list as well. Uh, So it has to do with the scene between Picard and Lily in the observation lounge toward the end of the movie where Picard has made this decision uh, that he's going to keep fighting the Borg. He's not going to set the auto-destruct sequence. And in order to talk about this, one of the things I noticed in watching this movie, I've always loved Lily as a character, and I think Alfred Woodard is an amazing actor, and what she does in the role is great. But I was noticing like the arc of the character, and it's one of the things I think we've talked about a few times when you have a character, you see them in one episode or one movie and never again, and the ability to really develop that character over the course of the movie. So when you first meet Lily, you know, she's there with Seth from Cochrane and, you know, they have been working on the Phoenix or whatever. And then there's this Borg attack. But when she first sees, you know, Picard and Data, she's just like very like startled, very like hostile and suspicious. And that kind of continues for, for a little while. And then she's taken up to sickbay and then, you know, she's going through the, um, the Jeffries tubes and then meets up with Picard and is still very hostile toward him, right? and thinks that he's part of some other faction or whatever. But then what happens is that Picard is able to take her to this like observation area, this part of the ship we've never seen before, where it's like there's just this open window with the force field. And she sees that she can see the Earth and is just astounded by what she sees. And something starts to shift. She's like, okay, something really different is is going on here. Uh, and And... And it shifts from just being like, you know, I'm the kind of this fighter and, and hostile to you to, so tell me what's going on and what this future is is about. And and she's kind of going through and trying to, to understand things. And then by that time of the scene in the observation lounge, it's gotten to the point where she feels uh, comfortable enough to be able to confront Picard about his decision and to really call him out in a way that nobody else really who is on the ship at that point really wants to. I do wonder if Riker was on the ship, if maybe he would as well. But um, I mean, it's kind of all to say like the arc of her character, you're just being introduced to her at the beginning. You've never heard of her before. And she's really just hostile to everything that's going on and has gotten to the point where Picard can 
can really kind of, he's angry about it, but he can really take in her position and what she has to say. Um, and that scene is amazing. I was just watching it this time. It's just like 10 minutes of two actors just like at the top of their game. Um, and, you know, she's calling Captain Ahab and like all this stuff that like a lot of people wouldn't confront Picard with and eventually convinces him to take a, a different path. So uh, I, I guess overall it's kind of the the arc of her character, but it's in particular that scene in the Observation Lounge, which I think is is just really amazing for her character and Picard's as well. What do you guys think? Yeah, you took mine. I took one? Yeah. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, and... I don't know how to talk about it without giving away sort of the theme of all of my picks, but that was definitely one very poignant for Picard's character um, that I'll talk about a little bit later. But yeah, definitely spot on. And and you're right, like Lily is amazing and courageous, which you sort of have to be, you know, to be building the Phoenix and, you know, go and survive the third world war. Exactly. Right? <laughs> right. And so she definitely has this courage and this, self-confidence, you know, to look at a situation just as everyone else on the crew and was like, well, everyone's recommending, you know, to blow up the ship and then why aren't you? So her logic and sort of that perspective, I think really gives her that self-confidence to go in and say, I don't know who you are and I don't know this chain of command or anything, but this is what everyone is saying and everyone really can't be wrong. So definitely a great, great pick and, and pivotal moment in the movie, I would say. Oh, thank you. And actually, before we get your comments, Richard, I just wanted to mention one thing, which is that recently I read the novelization of First Contact, which came out at the time of the movie. And that was actually really great because you get some more backstory on Lily and Zephram Cochran and the things they went through during like the third world war and getting to build the Phoenix and all that. So, you know, listeners, if you have a chance to read that novelization, it's, it's really great for that. And having read that before this movie, it just kind of added to that and knowing more about, about her character. But even if you haven't, I think you can see in the movie, what a strong character she is. And that, I think that confrontation is great, but what do you think, Richard? Uh, it's a great pick. It really is. Um, not the direction I was going, but, <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, it was. Uh, obviously, you know, it's 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 a very pivotal part of the whole entire movie, and you know, obviously, you know, it, it, he uh, you could see that Picard goes crazy and then freaking gets reeled back in by this person who doesn't even know him. You know, and it's it's a great it's a great moment um, for him to come to realization. Um, I mean, he would eventually anyway, but regardless, <laughs> um, it, yeah, it's a great scene. It really is by far. Oh, thanks. Although as I was watching it, I was like, well, so <laughs> so he sets this, the auto-destruct, but you know, in the end it gets turned off anyway. But still, I mean, you're right, Richard. She's kind of like reeling him back in so that he can make the right decisions after that, even if that plan to blow up the ship doesn't work out, right? So he's a, a little mm -hmm. clearer headed about it, I think. Like it gets snapped, uh, snapped to, or something like yeah, that. Yeah, snap back. Although, of course, he had to destroy like the little glass case first <laughs> to vent his anger. But oh, well, and he had to break the Enterprise D. <laughs> he broke his little ships. It was sad. <laughs> no, it was only one. Was it? Oh well, I mean, Lily says you broke your little ships, but is it just one? It's just the D that. I think it was just one because okay, the D was the only one that was on the ground on well on the ledge. So didn't 
didn't Viridian three do enough? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, it's great. You know, it's a great symbol of of you know what had happened before. So that's true. Yeah. I hadn't thought yeah. about that, but yeah, you're right. It is. It's good symbolism that you know the D's crashed and that we are now on the E. And yeah, good. All right, Richard, hit us with your first. No, pick. Detroit did not crash. <laughs> no. All their lives, including Spot. Your next pick. <laughs> <laughs> Well, um, like I said, I went in a whole different direction. Uh, I was thinking more funny stuff and all that kind of stuff. So that's I so actually I guess veered we'll, away from the funny stuff because I thought one of you, you would do it. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Because <laughs> I, I mean, there, there. I mean, there's some really good. Yeah. I mean, uh, there's a lot of good, uh, you know, jabs out there, and it's great in this movie. I mean, it's it truly shows off how much of a um, great family they are and you know and whatnot so it, it, i mean i i just absolutely love it but my ultimately favorite uh, uh part is uh when picard uh goes to Worf and asks him about his zero g combat uh, <laughs> yeah i love that part and you know and it just it brings up a great memory you know I, I obviously i can't i can't think of anyone that didn't say it but like who didn't cheer when um when Worf uh came out with that borg <laughs> tourniquet on this right leg. yeah i i i don't know anyone that didn't cheer in that in that whole entire theater and um it was just it was just great and then of course the line assimilate right. this <laughs> i mean is it really a line if it's only two words i mean just so typical warp it's a warp one-liner assimilate, assimilate this <laughs> yeah and and i and, yeah. and like for the zero g training i love when when picard and warp are on the hall and he's like how are you doing mr warp not well. <laughs> but that takes something for Worf to even admit that, right? That he's not doing well. It tells you how much he trusts Picard at that point to even tell him that, right? But at least he didn't barf in his suit. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, and one thing I noticed watching the movie again since you were talking about that, because like when you, you know, and Picard tells Worf like, well, just keep your eyes, you know, down on the hole. And then you realize we're upside down and the filming of it. I mean, kudos to Jonathan Frakes to come up with that. Like, and we were upside down when we first meet the E as well, sort of that beginning scene. And I just thought, man, we are getting to see this ship in all different angles and just really appreciated the the cinematography of that as well. Yeah, yeah. No, and, and I think you're right, Richard. There are a lot of, uh, I didn't make, I actually took some of them out of my list because I knew you guys were going to do funny stuff. But there, there are funny things, and that's amazing for a movie where, like, the future of humanity is at stake, but there's still funny stuff. And I think that's part of what you get in Star Trek is that even in real life, like, when things are at their most dire, there might be those funny moments that happen because you have to, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good pick. Okay, so since you took my first pick, um, Justin, uh, but I'll talk about sort of the theme of what I saw in this movie, where I feel like we get to see in this movie characters sort of losing control. And with Picard having that one moment where we always know him as the diplomat and the one who's logical and the one who's, you know, going to talk his way out of it and... And then we see him in the ready room, just lose it. I mean, literally lose it. And I don't think that we've seen him do that to that degree at all. And so for his character arc was so huge. And that got me thinking about other characters and their arcs and 
them losing it, which we normally don't see. And so uh, my pick will be Drunk Troy. Of course, we knew. <laughs> but I th- You know, I, I left that one out because I thought you might pick that. Absolutely. So did I. Yeah. And, and <laughs> listening to Marina talk about it, like she loves Drunk Troy. That's, you know, one of her favorite times of playing Deanna. And but I think it's important to note that, you know, throughout the seasons, she didn't really lose control unless she was under some alien influence. Right. Um, So this is her and losing control in a different way. Right. She is drunk. She's trying to do her job. And Zephram is introducing this stuff called tequila, right, to her. And she's losing control. Time. We don't have time. Um, And it's such a great scene. And her and Riker, and she plays drunk Troy. So, And she's like, you know, her hand in her hair, which is so, so funny. I've done that. Oh, my gosh. When you're drunk. (laughs) And... You know, and she like flips her hair. Well, if you want my professional opinion, you know, she's trying to keep her composure, but she's just so drunk on this tequila stuff. It's hysterical. But I like to see this looser side of her um, and that she's, you know, lost control. And I just I find it so interesting for her character um, and the interaction between her and Riker is just amazing. And Riker's look, you know, it's like, what am I going to do with these two? You know, so <laughs> that's my pick. Yeah, it's 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 great. And I think I've uh, I've seen Marina Sirtis say that like that scene, it felt more like she was playing herself than right. Troy. <laughs> yeah, she said that. Yep. But uh, no, I mean, the, the, the whole part of of that where, yeah, you see her where she's maybe not as much in in control or 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 different and then this comedic scene is great but i think also uh it's interesting later on that you see uh that you see troy like in the command center for the launch of the phoenix and she's like coordinating all of that stuff so she's like really competent in that and i love that they gave that for for her to do but but yeah in that in that whole scene where she's i mean she's the one who's found cochran is trying to figure out like what's going on and this was the way to do it yeah, she's just trying to blend in. You're blended, all right. <laughs> it's a primitive it's culture. I'm just I know, and, and now, now when I see that, I think of the primitive culture podcast on Trek. Yeah, that's where yeah. the name came from. But yeah, what do you think, uh, Richard? What was I saying? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just, yeah, it's a great, it's a great. Ep- I mean, didn't they? Uh, I think they only did one take of that, didn't they? I think I, I think that's I what heard they said. Something like that, yeah. Yeah, I think it was just one take. Yeah, she's so brilliant, which, which is great. Yeah. Okay, I can imagine. Jo- I can imagine Jonathan Frakes like, okay, Marina, just act like yourself. <laughs> Go. <laughs> yeah. I-, I was gonna say it doesn't take much acting ability to be drunk, <laughs> but, <laughs> but no, 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 that works. That works. Yeah. <laughs> but, <laughs> but yeah, it was. It, yeah, it's a great. It's a great scene. Um. Yeah. Also, another one of my uh, critiques. Why does Riker have a reflective strip on his leather jacket? Again, something I've never thought about. Why? Why does that matter? I, well, he's I don't dressed know. in the. Y- he's the only it's, one that it's, has it's anything popular in 2063, right? right? But he's the only one. <laughs> it goes with the beard. I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, sure. <laughs> 
by the way, the little tangent, but something I think I think about sometimes when I watch this movie is there's all the Borg stuff going up on going on up on the ship. And meantime, like Riker, Jordy, and Troy are are down on Earth and they have no idea this is going on. So I imagine them being beamed up and they're like, Anything happen up here while we were gone? Oh my god. <laughs> like cuz they they're out of contact. They don't know right. what's going on, right? Yeah. They yeah. they got kind of lucky because like what do they have to do? They have to, you know, fix up this warp ship and, you know, make sure that that Cochrane takes the the voyage and all that. It's a lot less dangerous there. I think all three of them would have been assimilated. Just you mean if they were I don't on know. the ship? Yeah, if they were their on names the ship, aren't I just think titles, so I doubt that. But <laughs> I'm just saying. I mean, they they probably if they would have been on the ship, they probably would have gotten assimilated. I don't know, because you know Riker being up, uh, he be up on the front line, yeah, probably getting his butt kicked by the uh, by the. Yeah, board. there well, should have been a scene where he put his he put his leg up on a Borg that had fallen. Down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he did the Riker maneuver. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, but I, I think about that sometimes, and I think that's one of the great things about the movie. It's divided between what's going on on the ship and what's going on on Earth, and it's. Very different trajectories, yeah. but it all meets up anyway. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. great pick. All right, yeah, I don't think it was any surprise <laughs> to you guys or the listeners. No, no, <laughs> no. No. no, I didn't even put it in my honorable mention because I knew <laughs> yeah. you were going to say something it about it. Yeah. All right, Justin, tell us your second pick. Okay, so for my second pick, like I said before, this is my favorite movie, and one of the reasons uh, is. A character that I love, which is the Enterprise E. <laughs> so the Enterprise E is my favorite ship that you see on screen in all of Star Trek. I, I love it because it's it's sleek, it's elegant, it's incredibly well designed. I think they've kind of uh, this this is a period of time after all all that you've been through with the Enterprise D. I think that they've figured out that they need something that can handle hostile situations a little bit more, that it's not all about exploration. And I think as far as we know, there aren't families on the Enterprise E, right? As far as we know. I don't know if they really ever address it, but yeah. it seems like that. Mm-hmm. It's Yeah, well, not, not in the movies, because I know in the books there are. Uh, yeah. They've mentioned if... it because Renee's on board. Right, but I, but I think even even then it's not generally like there's lots of, of families on board. But anyway, so it's it's a different kind of ship. But I think that makes for like a uh, a more streamlined look, and I just love every time I watch this movie. The first time you see it, just kind of come out of the nebula, and I think it's just such a beautifully designed ship. And again, it also says a lot about where they are at this point in you know the next generation from the the series to the movies. It's a little bit less about exploration and a little bit more about being prepared for the hostile situations that they might encounter. Um, and I also love seeing the Enterprise E in the the battle scene with the Borg cube. I love the Defiant, and it's great that it's in the movie. But yeah. that scene where it just kind of swoops by and totally dwarfs the Defiant. Oh, I know, scene. right? And and it's and it's just an incredible ship. So I I think I don't know if before I've chosen like a ship as a character because this is the first time in TNG that we get like a new ship for our main crew. But I love it so much, and I just had to. Had to pick it. I mean, for everything also that it symbolizes. So, well, yeah, and like I mentioned, like we get to see, yeah, her fighting the Borg, you know, swooping in and taking control, and you know, the whole scene 
with the deflector dish, like, yeah. And these new places where Picard takes Lily to see the earth, you know? So yeah, yeah, it's definitely, yeah, I like that. And you get to see it, I think, in a lot more detail than you did the Enterprise D, I think, especially because those scenes on the hull where they really kind of like swoop into, so you can see it really close up, which I think you didn't even get some, that, that close up in generations to the Enterprise D, so... For for me, it looms large. Like for me, there are a couple. Well, my next pick, which I won't give away, is one of the reasons I love the movie. But I also love it because of, you know, the character moments in the scenes, but also because of the Enterprise E and because of the new uniforms, which are my favorite uniforms in Star Trek. So there's like all these things that come together for me that are my like my favorite in Star Trek and the ships one. Yeah. Yeah. And maybe maybe the E doesn't rank as highly for you guys among all the ships in Star Trek, but. It's number one for me. Well, I mean, <laughs> don't get me wrong. It's it when when I first saw First Contact for the very very first time, it was it was magnificent. It really is. It, it's um it's a it's a great looking it's a great looking ship. Uh, you know, but I mean, what the way I see the Enterprise E, it's like a battleship. It's slow it and that. sluggish. <laughs> is, is how I, I think, see it. I, I think it's less sluggish than the Enterprise D. I think that thing can look really sluggish sometimes because it's just like so there's so many decks and it's so top heavy. The Enterprise E is actually a little bit longer than the Enterprise D, but it's it's actually which is why I say it's uh, it's it's sluggish because it's, it's not just as like wide a, just like a battleship. I, it's not as well, wide though. As wide. The D. Well, I'm thinking ships wise, but like okay. yeah, I mean, a, yeah. So I don't know. I I, I, okay. I like frigates and cru- cruisers that are smaller. All right. All right. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, it's a good choice. I mean, it really is. It's a great. It's a great looking ship. It really yeah. is. Yeah, and so. it does show. I, I think you're right. I you know that it's less exploration and more being prepared for the threats on uh, Federation and Starfleet. So yeah, very good. Mm-hmm. All right, Richard, what's your second pick? You know, I I like a good action scene just like anyone else. And um, I absolutely love when Picard and Lily go into the holodeck. It's my absolute favorite. I mean, obviously we see Neelix, which, you know, I don't know if anyone really noticed that. Yeah, yeah. Ethan Ethan Phillips playing that holographic host, I guess, which was cool. Host, yeah. yeah. To me, that makes it, along with seeing the EMH, that makes it like a Voyager crossover. But. (laughs) Even though the EMH Mark One was scrapped, but <laughs> which I thought anyway, you have to see Lifeline. Yeah, that yeah. happens. Well, that happens later. We we can argue about that, but anyway, you want to talk about the holodeck scene? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, um, so obviously it's it's Picard whipping out that Tommy machine gun. I absolutely love that. I mean, granted, I, it would have been a better surprise if uh, that wasn't in the trailer. But um, I just absolutely love—I love that scene. It just—it's just, it's just uh, something you know from our era, or actually before, a little bit before our era, um, and that's placed right into the middle of twenty-fourth century. <laughs> so, well, twenty-second century, but whatever. <laughs> you know what yeah. I mean. Yeah, that is really fun. And Picard, you know, just being able to think on his feet so quickly like that to, you know, look at the holodeck and disable the safety functions. And and I love it where he's like, snaps his finger and is like, oh, wrong chapter, you know? And yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, you know, and I'm glad that you're picking out sort of these lighter moments that's, 
I think um, first contact later moment. Anyway, I'll talk well, about yeah. that in a minute. <laughs> I think compared to generations where sometimes maybe the comedy was a little forced because of Data's emotion chip, like this one in this movie, the humor and the comedy are just so natural and just flow within the storyline. Nothing's forced. But just these little, quick little, oh, wrong chapter. It's just so cute. I love it. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I think I think it's a it's a good pick for for sure, Richard. But like what I often take out of I take two things out of that scene oftentimes, besides the bit of humor at the beginning. The first thing is that like when you see Patrick Stewart as Picard and he has like that that Tommy gun and he's like really going at it, like Wow, I, it's something that I didn't actually expect to see Patrick Stewart doing when I saw first saw the movie, and he's just like sells it so well because we're used to like Picard the tea sipping diplomat kind of thing, right? So he sells that really well, but I actually get kind of disturbed by it because like his his plan is basically to 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 kill someone who has become a Borg. I mean, maybe he thought it would wouldn't be someone who's a crew member, but. He almost doesn't care, and Lily's like, "Whoa, <laughs> that was Ensign Lynch there," and he's very much focused on what needs to be done, as as he should. But he gets like far too into it. Like th- this Borg is dead, and he just like wants to keep firing, wants to like take it and like pistol whip him and all this stuff. So I think it it's it's the start of what you see later when Lily confronts Picard, where he's lost control. He's starting to lose control there, and that's. That's a lot of what I take out of it and get a little disturbed by. Yeah, and which goes to the point, like, which sort of gives her permission, I think, in her mind, because she's the only one to have seen him degrade like that. That's true. Where, you know, Crusher, we would think, you know, Beverly would have done the same thing, but Beverly hadn't seen that previously in the holodeck. That's right, yeah. And so it, it lends to Lily being the only one to go in and, and confront him, you know, cause she sort of did there. It's like, Whoa, that's enough. You've he's dead, yeah. you know? Yeah. Cause I, I don't imagine that there's some other scene where Picard goes onto the bridge and he's like, by the way, Dr. Crusher, I just wanted to let you know that I killed Ensign Lynch in the holodeck to get this information. And I was about to bludgeon him after he was dead. Yeah. No, he hasn't said anything about that. Right. right? It's only Lily that knows. Yeah. But yeah. That's a good point. Yeah. All right. Okay, well, my uh, pick, sort of going along with this losing control theme, um, is really one of my favorites, and I like uh, quoting it a lot, because it's when Data, at the end, you know, sort of confesses to uh, Picard, you know, after he does the fires, and it misses the Enterprise, Data, and you know, and at the whole time we sort of didn't know was Data really going to go with the Borg Queen or not. And he tells Picard, you know, well, I thought about it for 0.68 seconds. And for an android, that is an eternity. I just, I love that because again, even in his shortest amounts of time, he loses control. He considers going with the Borg Queen. And I think that is so huge in Data's character development because he's always trying to 
you know, figure out humanity. And he seems to always have this moral compass. Well, he's programmed, right, to have this moral compass. And here for 0.68 seconds, he considers not following it. And I think that tells a great deal about his character and that we get to see that in this movie. Yeah, I agree. And actually, one of the things I had it as an honorable mention, but I'll mention it now because it relates is that I think it was an interesting choice that they made for data to be captured by the Borg and to be in engineering and to have this this confrontation with the the Borg queen and the Borg that are in, in engineering because you see data, I, I think going with your theme, like he loses control at a, at a certain point, right? Like against his will, his emotion ship is turned on and he's trying to cover for it a little bit, but but he's very like scared and, and doesn't know what to expect. And also when the, the, uh, the kind of skin is grafted onto his arm, um, he is kind of vulnerable. And when he does his plan to, to escape, he gets cut and he was like, ow, you know, like that really hurt. And I, and I don't like that. And the board queen says, well, rip it off as he would a defective circuit and data can't do it. He's vulnerable. He's not in control except for like at the end when he actually changes the firing sequence on the Phoenix. But, but yeah, and I, and I, I've, I've thought about sometimes like, Oh, was that a good choice to have data kind of in engineering with this confrontation? But I think it really says something about his character and the struggles that he has and still trying to figure out what to do with emotions when his emotion ship is on, it kind of carries over from, from generations. So yeah, I think that's that's a great pick. So, yeah, and I like it also because when you're saying, like, why data? Like, because the Borg are human turning into, you know, bringing in this technology, and then data is the mirror of that, you know, where he's the the mechanics, and then they're helping him become more organic. And I, I like that uh, – parallelism in the storyline with that. And so that's yeah, why I think, think Data is perfect to be in engineering and, and confronting the queen. Yeah. And he's, he's tempted by that because he's always wanted to be more human and this gives him the ability to do that. By the way, I think side note, um, I think maybe it was in the last patrons roundtable where they talked about first contact a bit, but somebody was saying like, where did that skin come from? What it must have been from one of the Starfleet people who became a Borg, and I saw that this time, and I was like, "Ooh, <laughs> I don't know why." Like originally, I thought somehow they replicated it or something, but oh yeah, well you know you always see them <laughs> putting on an extra hand or an arm, so they must have yeah. Ooh, that's oh. that is gross. <laughs> now, now, <laughs> that's now gross. I'm sorry to introduce that to you, but I couldn't stop thinking about that this time. <laughs> right. You know, I actually thought that when I was watching it too, I was like, "Where did they get that skin from?" I was like, "But." I I didn't listen to the Patreon roundtable, so I was like, "Oh, I think that's where it was." Man. Like uh, things kind of mix up in my head, yeah. so maybe it was a Patreon roundtable, maybe it was a different podcast, maybe it was on Twitter, but yeah. somewhere I saw somebody say that, and I was like, "That's a really good point." Ah, well, thanks for bringing from? it up here. I think. <laughs> Sorry, it shall be in your nightmares tonight. Hey, hey, we could we could always you know fire back and say milk and cookies. Oh, <laughs> I've gotten over that. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm okay with that now. Uh, okay. It's, it's been enough distance. All right. And I saw oh, Data's oh, okay. struggle oh. help me to get past yeah. that. So. <laughs> okay. Well, let's get to our third round. Justin, your third and final pick. 
Well, I think I teased it before, but this third pick is one of the reasons why First Contact is my favorite movie and might always be my favorite movie. Um, and it is, I, I guess I would call it a character moment for humanity uh, because it's, it's toward the end where you see the Vulcan ship getting ready to land. And I think that that scene is done absolutely perfectly with the combination of the visuals and the music because everything kind of stops. There's this group of people that are there and they're just kind of like looking up in awe like this, what is this? What's going on? And, you know, they land and then the Vulcan comes out and, and meets Ephraim Cochran. And every time that I see that scene, I'm really moved by it. I cry at that scene because I, it makes me think about one of the reasons why I love Star Trek so much because it is about a better future and there's so much strife and so many difficulties in our world and there has been for a long time but uh, there's there there's just so many divisions and so many things that happen where people die needlessly or there's suffering or something like that and what's being depicted in that scene is the moment when everything changes and it just really I I I get inspired and moved by that, but also sad that we haven't gotten there yet, right? Um, and that, you know, that moment, if it ever happens, would could change everything. And and I I don't know, sometimes it's hard for me to put it into into words, but for me, that is one of the most important scenes in all of Star Trek for me, because it just kind of crystallizes everything I love about Star Trek and the start of that that better future and just like the kind of awe and wonderment and like majesty they put into that moment, I think is, is just perfect. So I, I had to, had to have it as, as my third pick to finish out my top three. All right, Justin, you just have rated my list because that was <laughs> oh, my honorable you mention. <laughs> oh, sorry. But no, going and and I was pretty sure you were going to mention it, but I just had it on my list in case you didn't. But yeah, that ending scene. And I think you've mentioned it before, um, which really stuck with me, like the the words that Picard and Lily exchange, you know, just right there at the end where you know, Picard's like, or she's like, oh, I envy you or whatever she says, you know, because you're going to go out there back to your, you know, 24th century, well, you know, out into space and exploring and, and then Picard's like, I envy you because she, you're right at this critical moment and get to shape and form humanity and uh, make it a better place that we all want it to be is yeah. To be right there at that groundbreaking moment is very enviable. Uh, so it is a very, very good scene. And so you're right. Just so Star Trek. Oh, I just love it. Yeah. And I, I want to mention a couple more things about it. I mean, actually it, it, it's good that you brought that up. What happens a little bit later with Lily and, and Picard talking because I, I have it here. So, so Lily says, you've got to go. I envy you the world you're going to. And like, as I watch the movie, I'm like, I envy the world that they're a part of too. Uh, and you know, Picard saying, I envy you taking these first steps into a new frontier. I shall miss you, Lily. And I think that says a lot about their character interaction as well, that it's gotten to that point. Um, and that he's talking about, you're going into this this new frontier, this this new adventure when everything's new. Um, and to a certain extent in the 24th century, I think they kind of take that for granted a little bit because they've had that their their whole lives. Um, 
but but also like i think what what crystallizes kind of the importance of the moment for me and i i, I think i may have mentioned this before when we talked about first contact maybe as a crossover on on standard orbit but this is the only star trek movie that ends at a time period before it began and i think it's it's important that they're leaving you there to kind of think of the possibilities it's not important what happens when the enterprise e gets back to the 24th century none of that is important all that's important is recognizing this pivotal moment in human history and the start of it and there's even like a little humor in there where the vulcans get kind of startled by the jukebox and stuff like that so but but it's just like the start of that that kind of of partnership that can lead to something better so i just again i i love it so much and like those last like couple of scenes are one of my favorite things in in star trek and i think it's very very inspirational even to feel like you're living in that moment just just for a little bit yeah Richard, any thoughts? It's a very good scene. It's what I was going to choose as well. <laughs> oh, shoot. <laughs> <laughs> but um, so I was just actually thinking, and I'm not taking, I'm not trying to take anything away from your, uh, away from the gravity of the scene, but um, it, remi- it reminded me of an episode of Enterprise uh, where, oh, I can't remember who it was. I can't remember who said it, but... Um, they were talking about not everyone wants to be like the uh, like the ideals of Starfleet, like not everyone wants to be uh, wants to uh, be a part of this greater community, and I was just thinking it's like we don't uh, we don't actually see that, we only see one one specific point of view as in assume that uh, everyone else thinks the same thing. Well, we do see a different version of that in the uh, the mirror universe and Enterprise, where instead they kill the Vulcan and take the ship, right? I mean that's kind of an alternate way to to No, no, that no, that, that's not what I that's mean. Not that's what not mean. what I mean. Okay. But I mean, I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about where not everyone's on board with uh with going around the world, galloping around the galaxy and, and um being space cowboys <laughs> as they say. But like I was just say, I I don't know. I just I, I know that uh it's just I don't know. I was just thinking that uh, that not everyone wanted to be a part of. Uh, 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 oh, it was it was that Terra Nova uh, uh, episode. I think okay, it was. Yeah, I can't remember. I don't oh, yeah, know. Yeah, there's it was, a movement of people on Earth that don't really. Want, yeah. What is it? But then again, yeah. that was before the Federation and all that. That was kind before of stuff. the Federation, but it was a United Earth at that point, and they had some bones to pick with that. I think, or or with yeah. with focus. I'm trying to remember because it's been a while I've seen it. I think they had some issue with spending resources on going out and exploring. Right. Right. Yeah. Something like that. Mm-hmm. No, I don't yeah. know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, absolutely. And I think, you know, if something like, uh, like first contact with other aliens happen, I just wonder, like, in our world on Earth, what would actually happen? Would it be an inspiring moment or would it be like deep in certain divisions about what to do about it? I don't know because it's unprecedented. It's never happened to us. So I don't know. It could go either way. And I mean, I think what, what you see in some parts of Star Trek that you're referring to is sometimes there are people that are like, eh, is this really the right way to, to go about things or should we focus on, on other things? And I think that makes sense because people will have disagreements and and want to not necessarily do things the way they have been for a long time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a good point. Mm-hmm. All right, Richard, your yeah. third pick. Oh, I already oh. said it. <laughs> so, <laughs> but yeah, I, mean, I guess I could say the bar scene. I love the I love the bar scene where uh, 
I mean, what a, what a great way to start diplomacy um, than at a bar. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you mean, at, then, you mean at the end with the, with the yeah. Vulcans? Yeah. 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 He's giving him a drink and everything, which, you know, <laughs> I, I, I would assume that another species has fun and drinks too, or, or, or maybe some kind of fun alcohol yeah, or, the or whatever. Like, right? <laughs> but I'm sure they, they do have one at least. I think they do. Do they? Have what? Yeah. Yeah. The, like an alcohol or some, some sort. Yeah. Yeah. I think so. so, I mean, what a great thing to, you know, you know, bond over diplomacy over and then all of a sudden loud music. <laughs> so. Well, and I love how, you know, Zephyrim tries to do the Vulcan salute, you know, and yeah. can't get his hands to I do, it. do and it. And so he just improvises and just puts out his hands to say, welcome, you know, it's like. Okay, and that's I, your custom. This is my custom. Let's, you know, meet in the middle and, you know. Yeah. And I wonder if they actually told him to attempt it and he's never done it before. You know what I mean? Like, oh, if it was like, uh, well, some people can't yeah. do it. Oh, no, yeah. no. Yeah, totally. That's what I mean. That's what yeah. I mean. Yeah. Well, and, and, I, and I like that too because he, he puts out his hand and the Vulcan looks at him and you can see the wheels turning like, should I? Right. Oh, all right. I'll just, I'll just gradually do that. It seems like what they do. Yeah. Because <laughs> it looks like a genuine reaction of, you know, you know, someone first attempting it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's 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 great. And I mean, I, I, I think what's what's also wonderful about it is that you've had like all of this like drama and tension with the Borg and it ends on something that's really positive like that. Yeah. Uh, like it was all worth it. Every all the tough things that they went through, all the compromises they had to make, everything everybody that had to lose control over this and that it was all worth it because it led to that to that moment happening again mm -hmm. <laughs> so yeah all right well uh since justin's taken so many of my picks um i'll go to another honorable you guys just should have put these you, you know in the future you should just think of what i might do and put them earlier yes. because i put it third because i wanted to give you guys a chance yeah. <laughs> but there's no way it was going to be an honorable mention all right <laughs> Sorry. So one thing that I just think is really fun uh, is when they're on the planet and Jordy. Well, and first of all, everyone is just gushing over Zephram Cochran, right? <laughs> and I love that dynamic statue. between it, you know, and Barkley comes up. Can I just shake your hand? And, you yeah. know, and I like the fact that we get to see Jordy's eyes zoom in and on that metal coil thing yeah um so that's pretty cool but the when jordy's talking to zephram cochran and it's like well i went to cochran high school i mean and it's just <laughs> so typical um you know and he's like i wish i had a picture you know and there's a statue with your arm holding out yeah. sort of like this and you know and it just i can imagine it freaking out imagine if somebody came to you I from know, the future right? and, they, and they were like Oh, the things you're going to do, Amy. I went to Amy Nelson High School. Yeah. Like, what? <laughs> right? Like, totally unexpected. Yeah. So I like just sort of that interplay with Jordy and Cochran. And, you know, and he's like, well, do you want to check my warp core equations? You know, and he's like, well, I'm sure they're right. You know, because he doesn't know, <laughs> you know. <laughs> but it, it's just fun to see Jordy gushing a little bit and, you know, being a fanboy. I, I think that's really cute. Yeah, I like that, too. You, you, you know, um, there's actually a Marquez, uh, Marquez High School. Really? Yes. 
Is it an honor? <laughs> is it in honor of our dearly departed no. account, Miguel Marquez? No, no, but I'm just saying. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> okay. I looked it up. I'm like, there's a Marquez High School. Really? <laughs> That's cool. Well, you know, you have a much more popular last name than I. Wait, do. Wait, wait, wait. Let me. Let, let's see. Let's see. There's a Hel- Nelson High School. Well, there's the Nelson <laughs> Monument in England, in London. So I'm just saying. There you go. You got a yes oh, because well, you're related to wrong Nelson. Yeah. Here. <laughs> Lord Nelson. You guys, you, you guys have have more popular last names. Yeah. I doubt that there's any kind of like. Oh, there you go, school. Nelson High School in Ontario. Okay, there I am. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know if that counts. Yeah, I thought you were gonna say it's in Bozeman, Montana. Oh. But, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, that, I mean, and like the whole thing also with with Cochran. I know some people might not like it, especially if they're fans of Cochran from the original series. But I kind of like that he's not what they expect. He's not like this heroic figure. He's He's somebody that's had his struggles, which they go into more in the novelization. And he's like, I was just doing this for, you know, for, for money. And so I could go to a private island with naked women. And it's like, they, I don't know. I think there's something about that kind of thing that's like, and I think like if you were to go back in history and like get to know a historical figure, there might be some things that, you know, might not be so admirable, but they did what they needed to do anyway. I kind of uh, I kind of like that, even though it's quite different from what you see in the original series, which I like that Cochrane too. But but yeah, I think there there it is like a little unexpected because before in in Star Trek, whenever you've heard of of Cochrane, it's been something very like noble that he did at that time, and this gives a different viewpoint. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Well, it's just like any other leader, yeah. Like you said, you know, we're all human beings. We all have our flaws and things. Where well, that, it's like, I mean, that's why I don't, know. I don't consider them difficulties. I, I, I consider them just being normal. You know, like a normal human being. I mean, who doesn't, uh, who doesn't have a side of them that you know maybe some people don't like. You know what I mean? Like, it's like you know, it's just like any other, uh, any other American or any any historical figure. I mean, what Napoleon Bonaparte was short. <laughs> I don't think that has anything but, to do with what you're talking about, but okay. <laughs> yeah, but back back in that uh, back in those times, it uh, being a short person like that, uh, especially a general, was not a good thing. So yeah, it was it was a, it that. was a sign of weakness. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So. Yeah. All right, Justin, so. you have any honorable mentions since you're the I do. I mean, did I take all your guys' honorable mentions? <laughs> nope. Okay. You, you st- Amy almost oh, did. Okay. But- <laughs> well, why don't you go first, Richard? Because I have like maybe more than so. <laughs> don't people from the 24th century go right? <laughs> I don't detect yeah. any leak. That's great. Yeah, I absolutely love that. It's just great. It, it's just it's. I mean, it brings it back to today, and it's just great. I mean, just. I mean, it furthers it, it furthers. Um, making Zevran Cochran a, a plain ordinary man. And, you know, it's just, it, it, it I mean, it, it just makes them, it just makes them normal. I mean, I, I love it. I absolutely love it. And then on top of that, I love, I love that he still drinks out of a flask. That's even better too. <laughs> okay. <laughs> yeah. I mean, like what these events are supposed to take place 45 years from now. So that's pretty close to us. But you'd be drinking if you, if you had someone come down to you and say, you're the, you're the, prodigy of the future <laughs> like you're gonna you're gonna make this all this stuff happen and you get it all once in one day yeah <laughs> you know what i mean i'd yeah, be drinking to take in. <laughs> and i like that scene too because again we get 
to see the power of Jordy's eyes, you know, zoom in and yeah. infrared and find him. You know, you would think that someone in every away team would always have right? that. You know what I mean? Like, or at least glasses, like Google glasses or something like that. Or, well, yeah. Federation but glasses. Are we, but are we able to, see, like, okay, so when when you see it and he's zooming in, it looks different than, you know, our, what we would consider to be, <clears throat> like, the eyesight that you're born with, right? Mm-hmm. So, but, it, it again, this goes back to what we were talking about for the visor and why everybody doesn't have a visor. Is it just because it can enhance certain things, but it can, it takes some getting used to to interpret it compared to what the, the eyesight that people are born with? Well, I mean, I guess that's an, different. I mean, yeah, well, I mean, I mean like a contact or something like that, or, or even, it doesn't have to be a visor. I mean, just something like, you know, I mean, that would, uh, it'd be a great tool to have. They should besides, have heads up uh, displays, right? I mean, they should have something yeah. that they can just like switch it on and see more than like they normally would. Or like have a right? neural interface. Yeah. You know, yeah. stuck in their head or something like that. I know it's in some ways, Star Trek isn't as futuristic about those things as maybe it should be. <laughs> Right. Yeah. I'm just saying, if Jordy can see all that, you would think that something like that would be always in every single starship around the Federation. <laughs> I could see so. that. Yeah. Okay, Justin. All right. So I think we've already talked about a, f- a few of them, but one of the things that I noted, now Beverly Crusher doesn't have too much of a role in this movie, no. but as an honorable mention, I wanted to point out one thing that I really like, which is... You know, she's in sick bay. Lily's there. The Borg are about to, to come in. And I love how she thinks really fast. And she calls up the EMH and she's like, 20 Borg are outside of the door. Do something about it. I'm a doctor, not a doorstop. And by the way, it's great having Robert Picardo in this movie as well. Um, and and she's like, just handle it. I'm going this way. But I love how she just thinks quickly, like calls up that diversion, even though for whatever reason, she hates the EMH <laughs> and hasn't upgraded him maybe, Richard, <laughs> because of that. But uh yeah, I, I, it, it's like the one thing in the movie where it's a, it's a great crusher moment. And then she's like uh, organizing everybody. Okay, she loses Lily, <laughs> but she gets everybody else out, out safely and nobody gets assimilated from that group as far as we know. So I just wanted to, to, to point that out that I think that's a great character moment from her and maybe comes from some of her, you know, command training and, and experience and maybe even her little stint in command in Descent Part 1, you know? So I... I want to point that out because that's about the only thing that she really does except being in a few of the observation lounge meetings. I know. I just, it is a little frustrating because Crusher plays more of a role in the seasons than she does in this movie. And this movie is supposed to be, you know, celebrating. I mean, I don't think she really has a too prominent a role in any of them. No, I'm saying from the series, you know? Yeah. 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 And you know, these movies are supposed to be all of them. And you know, I, I, I'm not necessarily defending it because I think she should have more, but it's tough when you have like seven regulars and like a two hour movie to really get them all they need to. Yeah. Whereas with 26 episodes a season, you can be like, here's a Beverly Crusher episode. Right. Even though those didn't happen as often as they should, but yeah, I noticed her lack of character definitely in this movie. And I, I thought, wow, her only scenes was, yeah, leaving the uh, sick bay and her introducing Worf to the bridge. Yeah. You know, Worf is here. Well, and, and also, I always notice it like, oh, she has blonde hair now. Yeah. That's like one of the thing, main things I notice, but yeah. 
And her hair looks fabulous in this movie. I'm just going to say it. Okay. So, yeah, good to mention. She should have kept it red. (laughs) Yeah, good good to mention Dr. Crusher. Richard, another honorable mention. Nope, that was it. I didn't have another one. Yeah, I've, I've got I've got another one. So we we've talked about Picard and Worf a little bit, but I I love the little confrontation where where Picard calls Worf a coward, and then and then Worf says, "If you were any other man, I'd kill you where you stand." <laughs> I mean, they, I think first of all, it's it's just great to see them like butt heads like that. But second of all, it says exactly how much respect that Worf has for Picard and everything he's done for him over the course of the seasons that he is like the only exception that he wouldn't kill someone where they stand just for that. And I, you know, Worf would do it. I think if he didn't respect him that much, boy, that would, that would be quite a terrible alternate movie. Worf's like, just kills Picard. Oh boy. Um, But, but later on uh, what I, what I like as well is that after Picard and Lily have that confrontation in the observation lounge, Picard comes to Worf and, and you know says that he regrets some of what he said, and I love that Worf says some. <laughs> uh, and but but you know Picard goes on to say he thinks he's the bravest man he's ever known. So, like I I think like the the relationship that Picard and Worf have, and what Picard has done for Worf, you know, with taking him before the High Council and sins of the Father, with the discommendation and all of that stuff. And I think it's it's great, and it just kind of builds more on on that relationship and and how much respect that they that they really have for each other, um, and that we can get that even when he's mostly at Deep Space Nine. So, yeah, I just had to call it out because I love that that interaction. And then probably one of I just I wasn't even going to mention it, but I just we can't do this podcast without mentioning Picard's famous line. A line must be drawn here. Come on. This far, no farther. Yes. <laughs> they push back, or they push and we fall back. No further. Uh, I, that is... No, no further? <laughs> no further. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. And I say it to my kids when they start pushing me, my students, and then they don't get it. And I just... Shake yeah. my head. By the way, Amy, have you gotten in, in into the uh, part of, of DS9? I forget which episode it is where, where Quark does his tribute to this line. To the who? Oh, there, there, to there's this actually line. a scene oh. yeah, to this line where, where I, I forget, God, I forget which episode, but he says, the line must be drawn here, this bar, no further. No, I haven't. <laughs> oh my gosh. Okay, I'm going to look for it's that. Great. It's <laughs> awesome. But yes, that is a great line. And it's part of that whole scene with, with Picard and Lily. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Okay. Well, let's get to your final thoughts, Richard. Let's start with you. Well, um, like I said, you know this this movie was great on the on a sixty five inch um, plasma TV, so it's great. <laughs> the sound was even better. Um, that's for sure. Uh, just. Yeah, it's it's got lots of it's got it's got lots of interesting sounds to it, and you know, obviously the the dialogue is great and and whatnot. But I mean, for the most part, besides the fallacies of the the frame rate and um, you know Riker's reflective one stripe 
on his left oh my shoulder. Goodness, which Richard, I that is such weird. a small nitpick. <laughs> I have to say, but, <laughs> I mean, it just it was well, it's it's different from everyone else. If 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 someone else had like a spot or something like that or whatever, then that would be different. But it just bothered the okay. the hell out of me <laughs> okay. when I looked at it. Um, and funny enough, it I no- I noticed it first when I was watching the drunk scene. So. Um, but yeah, so um, but yeah, it's a fantastic film. Um, I absolutely love it. I mean, when I watch when when I normally do rewatch, I typically ignore all the Borg stuff and everything and just skip to the battle scenes is what I usually do. So, but yeah, what you skip to the battle scenes? Justin's a little well, defensive over this movie. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I'm the only one here who who thinks it's their favorite Star Trek movie. I'm sorry about that. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, I got something to tell you about uh, uh, when we do Nemesis, Amy, but we'll we'll go into that (laughs) later. Okay. By the way, what is your favorite Star Trek movie, Richard? Rathacon. Uh, That would be uh, the latest one. Oh, Beyond. uh, Beyond. That's your favorite Mm -hmm. of all of them? Oh, cool. Yep. Oh, I love it, but it's not quite my favorite. Nice, though. Yep. And Amy, like, I have to, like, before I go into my final thoughts, just settle this. Is Nemesis your favorite Star Trek movie, or is it something different? Because I think you said it was something different. Well, <laughs> for the TNG, Uh-oh. Uh-oh. for the TNG, it, it really is. I know. Send me hate okay. mail later. Um, but <laughs> I, I think our listeners have come to respect. Okay. <laughs> But no, I really do enjoy 09 and beyond. Um, and so I oh, that's right, I yeah. guess when I rate or list movies or whatever, I think about what is it that I would watch right now? And so that's how I make that judgment call. So, and it's willing to change whenever I, I did that last thing on Twitter. And I was like, this is subject to change within 30 seconds because this is just what i'm feeling right now you put an asterisk next exactly (laughs) so um so i wanted to do my final thoughts on first contact um and just sort of summarize like those the picks that i had for picard losing control troy losing control and data losing control and i think it is uh something that separates first contact from the other movies, because I don't think we really get to see that much character development um, and get to see how they react when they aren't in control. And I think that says a lot about a character. And And they go through, I think, some serious pause in their, in their characters and that we get to see them and their interactions with each other. I love the movie, I think they're, like I said before, the humor and the comedy is just seamless. It's so, it just blends into the storyline. And there's so many, so many picks we could have had, you know, I mean, this just would go on and on. But I like um, seeing the characters on the big screen and their interactions and that they get to overcome uh, some difficulties that they have. And I think with the next gen, the Borg being the largest foe and enemy for our next gen crew that we get to have this, you know, movie to summarize all that we've experienced in the series. So I really, I I love First Contact. It's definitely one that I'm always willing to watch no matter when. 
All right, Justin, your final thoughts. Okay. Also, before my final thoughts, uh, <laughs> um, so I, I looked it up. That Quark quote is from the DS9 episode, The Dogs of War, which is toward the end of season seven. You'll get there. Oh, you'll seven. Laugh. You'll laugh when, okay. They'll laugh when you hear it. Okay. So anyway, my final thoughts. I mean, as I said several times, this is not only my favorite Star Trek movie, it's my favorite movie. So I was looking forward to this probably the most of any of the favorite character moments episodes so far. Um, and as I said, I think there were tons of things. <laughs> and I think we talked about a lot of them. Unfortunately, I stole some of your guys' picks. Sorry about that. But uh, I mean, just in thinking about the things that, that we've picked. So, you know, several of them involved Lily, who's a character who's only in First Contact. And I like when we don't just do it all based on the main characters. Um, also, I picked a ship <laughs> and a moment that was like for humanity. So I think there's some great things that develop certain characters that are a little unusual. Um, and I also like that we talked about the the humor in the movie, which despite being a very serious movie, there's humor. I love, Amy, that you brought out this theme of people losing control because I hadn't thought of it that way. And I think it's it's really great that it has that. And I think you're right, not so much the other, other movies. Um, and just bringing out really great, moments involving Picard and Worf and Data and we even had one there for Crusher and Troy of course uh, I think it's interesting we didn't pick anything for Riker I mean but maybe he doesn't have as much because Jonathan Frakes is directing the movie but but I think it was pretty well distributed and it was fun to talk about all these moments I'll be interested from listeners because I think we did talk about a lot of the movie if they have ones that they love that we didn't mention uh, but yeah it was just a lot of fun and I was looking forward to this so much and i am looking forward to richard next month being forced to pick things from insurrection which does exist the movie that shall not be named <laughs> no comment from richard yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah no comments but anyway this this was fun we can bask in the glory of this we before can. the awkwardness of the next one yes <laughs> All right. Well, let's uh, tell our listeners about what we're going to discuss next week. And when we, I mean you, Justin. <laughs> uh, yes, uh, Amy, you and Richard are out uh, next week. And so I've convinced a couple of people to come by as guests. That would be Dan Gunther and Bruce Gibson from Literary Treks. And they will be here talking about the pets of TNG. Now, you might be saying, what is there to talk about maybe besides Data's cat spot? But there's more. We'll find things. It'll be fun. Don't worry. <laughs> but I think they're looking forward to that topic, looking forward to having them on the show because I think they've been on... Actually, they were on together when we did the the uh, the Picard series announcement. Weren't they both there? Yeah. Yeah, they were. Yeah. But this is the opportunity to just talk to them about something. So I'm looking forward to that. Hope you'll join us and you know, maybe also think about any pets that you have that have been named after TNG pets. Yes, there are quite a few of you out there, listeners, I know. Or regular characters, because I know people do that. Yes. <laughs> They'll have like, you know, their cat wharf or something like that. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So yeah, that'll be fun next week. All right. Well, it's been so much fun talking about our favorite character moments from First Contact, but that isn't the only thing we've been talking about here on the network. Here's what you might have missed elsewhere on Trek FM. Previously on Trek.FM, continuing mission. You know, another production. And now another fourth, I think. Yeah, <laughs> but now they are. And that in itself seems to me to be laying the 
the roots or the basis for something that could grow bigger sometime in the future. I mean, let's get this one out of the way and then see where it goes <laughs> from there. But, but now you have a collective. Earl Grey. <laughs> Detecting Romulan life forms. Oh, sorry, did you say there are Romulan life forms? Yes. No, I said there was there 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 used to be. So used you, to be you, you detect fate signs. What have you guys created? <laughs> yes. Do, 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 do. Okay, so there are life forms. Interesting, fascinating. I was 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 life forms. They're gone now, but there was traces of life forms that were present at the um, at the shuttlecraft. Oh my goodness! Dead Starfleet officers, dead Romulans. This isn't really helping much, is it? <laughs> Standard orbit. This episode is emblematic of how it wanted to grab the bull by the proverbial horns and and wrestle those kinds of issues to the ground and serve as an example of uh, of where a certain subset of people stood at the time in trying to react to the craziness of their own world and and that's that's one of the things that I just continuously love about this show. The Six O Two Club. And that's the thing. I, I think you need a movie like this because most of the time when we think about astronauts and the, the, these heroes who do these extraordinary things, um, we're painting with a very broad brush. Um, e- even in the right stuff, which, uh, l- like I said, it at least gives you some differences in the personalities of those guys. This is like you know the, this master class in the in this psychology of this one particular person and that's what else is happening on trek.fm check out all these shows and join the conversation about your favorite corner of the star trek universe and beyond you'll find us wherever you get your podcasts if you're an apple user be sure to hit the subscribe button in apple podcasts on iphone ipad or apple tv or the desktop itunes app to get the latest episodes as soon as they are published and please leave us a star rating and written review. That helps others to find the show. If you're not an Apple user, we've got you covered as well. You can find uh, all our shows on Google Play Music, Stitcher, TuneIn, Spreaker, SoundCloud, YouTube, Windows Phone, in most party apps, and you can stream and download the MP3 file from our website or grab the RSS link. We'd love to hear your thoughts on today's show, and there are many ways for you to do that. The best place to join in the larger conversation is the Babel Conference, our listeners group on Facebook. Just type Babel, B-A-B-E-L, into the search field on Facebook, and it should come right up. If you'd like to send us an email, you can use the form on our website at trek.fm contact. Choose to send to a show and select Earl Grey. That will come right to us, and we might read your email on the show. You can also find the network on Twitter at TrekFM and on Facebook at facebook.com slash TrekFM. So, Richard, where can people contact you when you're not cosplaying as Captain Ahab? Um, I don't know. What would, what would be my white whale? <laughs> I, I, don't know. I don't know. A Klingon enemy? <laughs> Maybe. You know what? It a could tart. be a mashup. It could be like Worf as Captain Ahab. Mm. Maybe fighting mm. something. Anyway, I, hmm. I don't think I could get that past the, uh, the Comic Con security <laughs> with the that whatever whale spear, uh, the harpoon. Sp- yeah, no, harpoon. yeah, harpoon. There you go. Listeners, don't try that at home. <laughs> yeah, please don't. I, we, there's already <laughs> enough security there. <laughs> anyway, well, you guys can find me on Facebook. I pop in here and there on the Babel Conference, and recently I've been on Twitter. 
And my handle is xransom. So um, yes, prepare for more, sporadic use. Yeah. I know. I know. I was looking at it. I was like, eh, I haven't seen it since. I haven't touched it since July. Oh. So I was like, mm. what? You've missed so many great things that people have said about you. Good <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You saw a few of them. There were good things people said about you as the game master. Right? Yeah. Maybe that, maybe that was me and Amy, but <laughs> still it's good. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so, uh, Amy, where can people contact you when you're not running the command center to launch the Phoenix? Oh, I would love to do that. Uh, so, uh, yeah, when I'm not doing that, you can find me here on the network. I co-host The Edge, which is about Star Trek Discovery with Patrick Devlin. Um, I am also on Twitter at Miss Amy Nelson, and I am on the Babel Conference. So, Justin, where can people contact you when you're not imagining first contact with the Vulcans? Well, I'm doing that quite a bit. Uh, but let me ask this question. So, Amy, maybe next year at STLV you can cosplay as Command Center Troy. Ooh. <laughs> that would be cool, right? Yes, that would. Just a thought. I haven't seen anyone cosplay that. <laughs> so you can find me on Twitter. I'm at TrekFan4747, where I tweet about nothing but Star Trek, tweeting out my Season 6 rewatch of The Next Generation, and you can also find me hanging around the Babel Conference on Facebook. If you'd like to help us keep all our shows coming to you each week, you can become a patron of the network on Patreon. Visit patreon.com slash trekfm. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash trekfm to get all the details. Perks include early access to episodes, exclusive content, producer credits, and more, available through our special patrons website, Patron Zone. It requires a great deal of money to produce, host, and distribute these shows each month. We really appreciate any support you can give us and hope you'll join the team. Again, you can find all the details at patreon.com slash trekfm. We'd like to take this opportunity to recognize our current associate producers, Norma Lau, Justin Ozer, Michael Huter, and Thomas Appel. Thank you for supporting Trek FM and Earl Grey. So join us next time for another cup of Earl Grey. I envy you, taking these first steps into a new frontier. Assimilate this! Time? We don't have time! <laughs>